Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The gospel reading for today is known by various and sundry names, but it's basically the story that takes place on the road to Emmaus. And if you think about it, there's a lot of stories in Scripture that happen on the road. A lot of memorable stories, a lot of powerful stories that happen as people are traveling on the road. Think about it for a second. Paul on the road to Damascus. The Good Samaritan story, while a man is traveling on the road to Jericho. Jesus, when he's traveling on the road and heals blind Bartimaeus. Not to mention Palm Sunday, when he's riding on the road into Jerusalem. And then you have in the Old Testament, the Exodus, and then coming into the Promised Land. And think about yourself, how many stories you could tell. When you've been on the road, think about it, your own road stories, on the road again, right? That's not the end of the sermon, by the way. But I mean, I'm sure that song brought to your mind some memories about being on the road. Because we all have stories to tell. And this story on the road to Emmaus is probably one of the most memorable and powerful and vivid stories of something that happened on the road. It's one of those post resurrection stories that if you don't know it and then you hear it and then you really understand it, it sticks in your mind. And the more background and detail that you know about the story really makes it memorable because there's some details of the story that you really might not understand the full impact unless you know some of the background. Let me tell you what I mean by that. For example, you hear the name is the story unfolds, Clopas. But see, that might not mean a whole lot to you unless you know the name that comes up in a different place. Let me read to you from John 19. When Jesus is dying on the cross, you hear this in John's Gospel. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother, Jesus' mother, 
and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas. So that's a really important detail to this story in that you have Mary, Jesus' mother, and her sister, Mary. Now, that's fascinating to me. Is that fascinating to you? It's like Daryl and my brother Daryl. You know, you got Mary and her sister, Mary. And Mary's married to Clopas. And then you hear in this Road to Emmaus story that Clopas is traveling down the road with his companion, most likely his wife, Mary. And that's important because what's fixed in their mind is that Mary was standing by the cross with Jesus' mother and saw Jesus die. So this is his aunt. And she's grief-stricken. And when you see someone die, you don't think about that person coming back to life. You don't. Especially the gruesome way in which he died. There's no way that that body can be restored. Because that body was so broken. And that's what you have to have in mind when you see this encounter happening on the road. It's important to have that detail in mind when all of a sudden, as they're walking down the road, convinced that Jesus is dead, that they encounter this stranger. And this stranger comes up to them, and they don't recognize him. Imagine that. Because they're not looking for Jesus to be alive. And probably as they're walking, they're so downtrodden that they're looking down They're grief-stricken. They were hoping for something to happen that did not happen. Because this is Jesus' aunt and uncle. And they can't believe what they saw. And it's also important to keep in mind Mary Magdalene, who also loved Jesus dearly, who also encountered Jesus in the garden, who also didn't recognize Jesus initially. It's important to keep all of that in mind. Because in reality, our eyes can deceive us. We can be blind to what's right in front of us. Think about expressions that we use. Love is blind. How many of you have said that? Heard that? He or she doesn't know what they have. Right? They're blind to it. They have a jewel and they don't recognize it. Or they have someone in their life and say, can you believe they're dating so-and-so? Oh, my gosh. It's kind of one or the other. But they don't see it. Why? Why? We don't know. But they are blind to what is before them. And we recognize that and we say that. What does he or she see in that person? We don't know. We see something else, right? See, that's what I'm talking about. Or, if you're driving down the road and you see someone drifting over a little bit, Can't they see what they're doing? We don't know. 
But we can see it. See, the reality is, is that people can't always see, and they don't see Jesus. But in effect, they're basically saying the same thing to Jesus, aren't they? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? Right? You didn't see it? You didn't catch it? Now, we say that to each other, too. Especially if you want to put somebody down around us, right? You're talking to your spouse, and you're trying to explain something to them, and they don't get it, and you say, are you the only one that doesn't get this? Right? We never do stuff like that, do we? But that's what they did to Jesus. Jesus says, what things? What things? Isn't this interesting, for those of you that have been here the last few weeks, that Jesus begins this with asking a question. He asks them a question. What things? Because he wants them to, to begin to think through again, what did just happen? What did Jesus say when he was teaching and preaching? What did they just see and experience from the apostles? What did just happen this past week? What evidence are they ignoring? What things? Because they're not seeing the full picture either. That's the reality. That's the truth of the situation. They're accusing Jesus of being blind. When in fact they don't see Jesus the risen Lord. And they don't really see what happened the last few days. And they don't understand the evidence that's before them. And so Jesus says, what things? What things? We sometimes turn a blind eye, don't we? Let me read to you from the letter of James. You have to remember who James is. James is the brother of Jesus. James writes a letter later on in his life that we include in our scriptures. James is the one who says, faith without works is dead. James is the one who, early on in his life, didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. He didn't believe in his brother. He didn't believe in his brother until the resurrection. And that eventually he would become the head of the church in Jerusalem. But he writes, But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. He watched his brother growing up who was consistent. He knew the scriptures. He lived the scriptures but he still couldn't believe that he was who he said he was. But James, who was very aloof and probably condescending about his own brother, probably heard the word, but didn't do the word. He says, but be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. How many of us do that? We hear God's word. 
We hear what the Word of God says to our lives. We say we believe. And then we turn and we walk away. And we forget about the Lord. We forget about His Word. It may stick for a little while. It may not stick at all. We may be consistent for a few days, for a week, two weeks. We may have this incredible zeal for a while, but then we drift or we walk away. We may live by our own rules, say, eh, you know, well, maybe that's for the really religious types. But it's not for me. See, we're blind to our own lives. Because we are selective about what we see. And that doesn't work too well. You know, earlier in my life I used to play baseball and then eventually I used to coach baseball. And I will never forget when I was younger and it actually continued when I used to coach. You will sometimes hear this phrase, oh, just shut your eyes and swing. Try that when someone's pitching 70 miles an hour. Doesn't often work too well. Close your eyes and swing. You know, in the pros, the ball goes 90 or 100 miles an hour. It doesn't work in golf either. And the golf ball is a stationary object. Even if you take your eyes off momentarily. What happens to me oftentimes is this magical word that's called shank. I hate that word. And it happens periodically. Even to me. Why do we think we can get away with that? If we just shut our eyes, it'll still work. If we take our eyes off the road, it'll still work. I guarantee you that when I see someone drift, oftentimes they're texting just for a moment. Why do we think that still works? We are so good at fooling ourselves. Turning a blind eye. Let's take it a step further. Deceiving ourselves. You know, when I was about 16, my brother and I shared a car. And I wanted to get my own car so badly. I found a Volkswagen Bug for $300. I thought, this car is so good. All it needed was a new fender. And I found out you could get a factory fender for $19. It had prime paint primer on it already. So all you have to do is paint it and everything. And I thought this car was so cool. What a bomb. I worked on that car all summer, on and off. And I sold it at the end of the summer for $300. How we can look with a blind eye and we can deceive ourselves. We are so good at it. And, you know, in many ways, Mary saw Jesus dying a cross. She thought she had believed in Jesus. Did you catch what they said? We had hoped he was the Messiah. We had hoped. We had hoped he, 
He was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. And it amazed us. We heard people say that the tomb was empty. A vision of angels. After three days. Where did that phrase come from? Because they heard him say that after three days he would rise again. That's where that phrase came from. They knew what he promised. They knew what he said. But they had given up hope and they really didn't believe in him. Which is why they said Past tense, we had hoped. They deceived themselves that they'd really believed. And that's why they turned and they walked away. And how many people say they believe, but in reality their lives are about turning and walking away? They don't really believe. They don't really trust. That's the reality. They want to do it their own way. They want to be their own Lord. And they deceive themselves. And they're blind to the reality of their lives. But then something happens. As they begin to explain, maybe they started thinking and started processing. And then Jesus gently confronts them. Foolish. Slow to believe. You know, we are so afraid to confront people. We don't even like to confront ourselves. But we are so afraid to confront people, people that we say we love. And sometimes confrontation is necessary, albeit with love and gentle. And then what does Jesus do next? He shows them in the scripture this is what Moses and the prophets said. This is the reality of the Messiah. This is what was promised about who he was. And what began to happen at that moment? Their hearts, which were already inclined to believe. They wanted to believe. They just couldn't believe because their eyes and what the world said. They wanted to believe. But then the scriptures and the Holy Spirit starts moving in their hearts. And then the clincher, the breaking of the bread, the essence of the gospel. This is my body. This is my blood broken for you. And what I always like to believe as to what happened at that moment is when he broke the bread, they saw the nail prints and their eyes were open. He's risen. And it's the first thing they said. He's risen. They believed. And what did they do? You know what the word repentance means? 
means a 180-degree turn. That's exactly what they did. They walked away from Jerusalem. They said, whoa, and they turned around and they went back. They had a mini Pentecost. Because what happens at Pentecost is you realize the Holy Spirit is alive in you. What did they say? Our hearts burned within us. They had a mini Pentecost. And then everything we heard about in the Acts 2 reading about Pentecost happened with them. The apostles' teaching. Jesus unpacked the Word of God to them. And it became alive to them. They understood. It was real. It was truth. No longer blindness. No longer deception. It was truth. Fellowship. That's what they longed for. They wanted to be with their brothers and sisters. The breaking of bread. That's the clincher. The gospel in sacrament. They probably heard what happened in the upper room. They may have even been there. They were intimates with the apostles. They knew. I mean, how did they know where to go? The apostles were hiding. Right? That's what we're told. They were hiding in the upper room. They were intimates with the apostles. They knew exactly where to go when they went back. They may have even been there at the Last Supper. We don't know. But they knew the story of the breaking of the bread. And they knew exactly where to go. And the prayers, they wanted to worship with them. And Jesus shows up and they worship Jesus right then. And they had to talk about it. That is so missing in the church today. We are so afraid to talk about it. They had to tell somebody. When we really believe in this, this fire of the Holy Spirit burns within us, we have to tell people about the Lord. We have to tell other people. We have to share our faith. We have to witness. We have to testify. We need to share that faith. That's how the church, as we heard in the last verse, Grew daily. The church needs to be growing. The world is encroaching on the church. And the world will deceive. And the world will eat away at faith. Maybe some of you need that mini Pentecost. Have you ever had an awakening? What happens when you have an awakening? Your eyes are wide open, right? That's what happens when you awaken, right? And we have awakenings at different times. You know, sometimes... When we're teenagers, and all of a sudden when we're in our 20s or maybe 30s, all of a sudden we awaken and we think, geez, our parents weren't all that stupid and mean. They're really okay. We have an awakening. Or, you know, our spouse really isn't a total jerk. Maybe they're right about this. And they really do love me, and maybe they have my best interest in mind. 
And we have an awakening. At different times in our lives, we have awakenings. And sometimes tears flow. And guess what tears do? They clear our eyes and we can see. And maybe it's time for you to have an awakening. Or a mini Pentecost. 